This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Get Past Your Shit, the book. This book is available by paperback or Kindle. It was written by my friend Kelly Mikazi, who's also a podcaster, too. I was a guest on Kelly's show, and she has a show called Love People, Make Money. Kelly takes a stand that you can get past your fears, insecurities, and tough circumstances. She knows hearing other people's stories is motivating, so she has recruited brave friends to tell theirs. If you're waiting for fears, insecurities, and touch circumstances to go away before you move towards a better life, you'll wait forever. It's time to get past your shit. To claim a free chapter and coaching program, go to getpastyourshit.com. Direct links to her book, her podcast, our episode, and any other relevant links uh, to find where Kelly's at will be available in the show notes. All right. We have another announcement. I have a couple of virtual speaking summits coming up that I'm speaking in. The first one is on May 22nd, 2021. It starts at 12 PM Eastern. And that is called the, we got this movement virtual speaker summit. And I'm doing a, TEDx style talk, uh, there, and you can find all the information for this one in the show notes. This is a, a paid ticket event. So you will have to buy a ticket to get into this, uh, virtual summit to see me speak if you want, but there are a bunch of great speakers in this. Um, you know, a lot of folks from the fearless, from the fearless speaking, uh, group will be speaking at this summit as well. The second one is called back from broken virtual summit. And this one is free for the first 250 people that get tickets to it. And this event will be going off on June 5th and 6th. There's about 25 to 30. Well, we got about 25 right now. I'm also, uh, working on the back end of this, uh, as a technical person. Um, so this one, we have about 25 speakers so far. It could get up to 30 by the time, uh, we close everything out, but a lot of great people. I listened to some of the practices last night. And I gotta tell you, these are some really good folks that, uh, are coming through. So the back from broken virtual summit, and you can find all that information in the show notes, direct links to all of this are available in the show notes. And also if you are a business, a speaker, a coach, an author that wants to promote your book, somebody that's got an online business and you want to advertise on my platform, uh, reach out to me, uh, at nowhere to go, but up now at gmail.com and I will send you all of the information in the sponsor structure if you're interested. Other than that, you know, some of these, you know, I know a couple of months ago for the last couple of months, we've been doing a lot of drops, episode drops. And as it's getting closer to me going back to work and a lot of these, uh, I've been working on these, these speaker summits 
And so the amount of time that I'm releasing episodes has dropped a little bit, but I'm going to try and get back to that. Honestly, because the more, the more episodes that I dropped, I noticed that I'm charting. And as I go down to, you know, one episode a week, I fell off the charts. So I don't know if it has any kind of correlation, but, uh, yeah, if you're out there listening, I really appreciate it. Uh, if you're supporting the show, I definitely appreciate it. And don't forget to, uh, subscribe, rate and review on whatever podcast platform you're on. All of that stuff helps. And for those that didn't know, because I didn't announce this. It just sort of, I changed the way that I was doing things and I didn't really let anybody know what I was doing. I started doing a live stream. And so my live stream goes out to six different platforms. Uh, one of them, the three main ones are Facebook live, YouTube live, and then also uh, Twitter live or Periscope. That's where it actually lives, but it, it's on my, uh, profile page on Twitter. So you can find all of these episodes, uh, on video on all those locations. So the best way to find everything right now is to go to my link tree and there is a website coming. Uh, it should be done here in the next couple of weeks. Can't wait to launch that. And, uh, you will be the first to know when that happens. And then you'll be able to go directly there to find everything about what I'm doing, including the nonprofit organization that I'm building. And we're going to have a page over there that's going to give all that information and kind of show you, uh, you know, how you can support and, uh, where, where it is and, and what's happening. That one will actually get its own website too at some point, but but first things first, had to get the podcast done because uh, that's I've, I've had this podcast for going on two years now, and I just you know I didn't have a website the whole time, which has a lot to do with the fact that you know this was my first time doing this, and you know sometimes you just I just didn't know, I didn't know until I knew, and Clubhouse was a great uh, asset for me to be able to hear about all the different things that I can do and. Uh, you know, and what I wasn't doing actually, uh, to, to build my podcast and to build my audience. So if you're out there and you're supporting the show, you're listening and you're getting value out of what I'm doing, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, do me a favor, uh, subscribe, rate or review. I'd love to hear some reviews. Actually, you know what I'd love? I'd, I'd love to get some feedback, um, from you guys as to how you think this show is going. Uh, do you like what I'm doing? Uh, do you not like what I'm doing? I'd really love some feedback from you. So do me a favor. Go ahead and email me. If you've got anything to say, you know, whether it's, Hey, good job. I'm, I'm really enjoying the, 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 guests that you're putting out there and, and, you know, what you're doing or the opposite. I mean, if you're not, and you know, maybe I changed something up that you didn't like, you can also, you know, express those, uh, I, those thoughts to me as well. So just would love to be able to connect with, with some of you guys out there in the audience and kind of hear what you think. So with that, let's get to the show. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, 
and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. Cheers. Caught me sipping. What's up? This is an order to go, but up podcast. And I am your host, Sean Dustin. This is your first time listening. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us. Uh, if you want to help support the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. Um, YouTube, subscribe, all of those places. Uh, give me a subscribe, follow, listen, whatever it is you need to do. Just check me out, man. Give me a chance, and uh, I guarantee you probably won't be disappointed. Uh, tonight, I have a special guest, and this special guest is somebody who I listen to and I watch on one of my favorite programs on YouTube, which is the Jimmy Dore Show, and his name is Ron Placone, and he's a comedian. Uh, he contributes to the Jimmy Dore Show. He's a writer for the show, too, and he's just a He's a funny guy, and he's got a lot of great insight on progressive uh, policies and politics. So another one of my progressive uh, broadcasts to you. Uh, if you're not interested in it, then just skip over it. But if you are, come on in. Come on in. We're going to have some good stuff for you. So I'm bringing him up in here. Hey, Ron. What's up, man? How are you? I, I like uh your intro music is pretty cool, dude. That's a that's a pretty interesting story. I was like, I was listening to that, and I was thinking, man, if if I made one of those for me, it wouldn't be anywhere close to exciting. Like you, you get out of jail, you got nothing but the clothes yeah. on your back. Like that's a story, man. Like mine would just like mine would just be like, this is Rod Lacone. <laughs> he went to an open mic after college, got into con a comedy, eventually started making a living at it, traveled the to road extensively for forty five weeks a year, had a free bar tab every <laughs> night. It didn't get him into too much trouble, but occasionally it did. But he eventually got to the gig on time. Then he went to Los Angeles, and, uh, and then you found out who he was, kind of. That, that'd be yeah, my that's thing. that's funny. Yeah, the guy that I hired, I hired him off of Fiverr. Uh, he did me an intro, an outro, uh, and then a middle. I don't know what they call that middle thing that they do for you, too. Um, but it's like... It, yeah, but I mean that's your story, yeah. right? Like he didn't make that up about no, you. No. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, yeah, it is a story, man. Uh, it uh, there's a lot more to it. Um, and I mean, we're not really here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. But I mean, if you want to know more about it, uh, there's a lot to it. Um, you know, the the meth addiction lasted for 18 years. Uh, then it went into a pill addiction that lasted another seven years. And uh, there's a lot of uh, abusive behavior and stuff like that within that whole thing um you know so basically the last two years i mean i've had the podcast for two years but i really 
it's it's I I've been using it and leveraging it to have people on the show uh, that are helping me struggle with the things that I'm trying to get through, whether it's self sabotage, whether it's uh, you know the, the, any of the, the major things um, like behaviors. You know this uh, this podcast has really become more of a well. Where where do I where do I fit into that? What do I help with? Uh, you help with the fact that like. In between all that stuff, I put in my interests, things that interest me. Oh, you know right what I mean? So okay. progressive okay. policies, progressive politics, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in comedians. They're funny. I like to listen to them and watch them. Um, you know, you're on one of my favorite shows. And also you were on Tiffany Werner's broadcast, and I was on her show as well. So, I mean, we have some mutualities here and some some common ground. And, uh, yeah, I cool. just I think you're a, a cool guy. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. No, it's cool, man. No, no, I just I, I was listening because I I didn't know your backstory, you know. So so I was just I was like, oh wow, this guy right on. Well, cool. But yeah, I, I won't like I won't like quiz you on oh, it or anything, I dude. Just... I'm I, I'm so I I so freely talk about it openly, especially on club. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you should. Yeah, you totally should. Oh yeah, we were talking about Clubhouse uh, off yeah. mic, and uh, yeah. So you you're really bit by the bug, huh? Yeah. Well. The kind of conversations that are happening over there now, I don't know if it's in all of the spaces. I would imagine that it's probably not, but at least in the ones that I'm in, uh, the podcasting ones, um, the speaking ones, it's really a, a vulnerable conversation. People are getting real over there. They're real conversations with real emotions. People are, you know, crying, um, you know, and, and it's really, I think, a testament to where we are and how starved we are for connection you know, with each mm. other, you know, you got, you have that with, uh, with the comedian, uh, kind of all the the comedians. And, and I grow, I, I watch, I listened to Joe Rogan for years before I even started my own podcast. And I listened to how he would t- talk about the, the community of comedians and how they kind of stick together and you guys kind of help each other through things, right? You know, you're going through something mentally, you know, maybe not all the time, but you know, you, you're really there for each other. You know, somebody has got some sort of a, uh, thing that they need to pay for with the doctor. You've got folks that are willing to pitch in money to try and help, help them out. Right. And, that that is true. I mean, and, and I'll be honest. There have been periods in my life where I sometimes overlooked that, or, or I don't want to say took it for granted, but but yeah, it, you always kind of knew that. And, and but sometimes you would kind of you you would get kind of uh, cynical towards the whole thing a little bit because there is also that element of you're on stage alone and, and you're in it alone. And at the end of the day, it's it's like you're just. Uh, you know, it's up to you to uh, to keep the whole thing afloat. But uh, but yeah, but everything you just said, like that is totally true. And and something, you know, I think of, um, you know, a few years back. Well, it, it was actually a while back at this point, but I, I had a I had a pretty rough breakup. And, uh, you know, I, I lost a condo out of the deal. And uh, it was a really, really rough patch in my life. And yeah, I do remember, like, I never forget, like the way it was like I just fell into a net of support and that net was the comedy scene. And that was in, uh, that was in mm-hmm. Nashville. I was living in Nashville at the time, but, uh, you hear stories like that a lot uh, all over the country. And then, yeah, it, it is a special thing. I, I guess 
comedy can be a, a kind of isolating craft because it's not like a band where you, where you look over and you see your bandmates or it's not like a play where you look over and see your co-actors. You are up on stage with nothing but a microphone and your words. So uh, so I guess as a result, we, we kind of, um, you know, we, we kind of stick together at the end of the day. I mean, I mean, some of the, some of the worst human beings I've ever met in my life are comics. So it's certainly not everyone, but, but, but for the most part, there, there is a certain camaraderie that exists and, and it is a special thing. Yeah. And, and, and so with what you just said, I think people are starting to find that in this space in clubhouse, you, you have that, you know, you're able to, it's a more organic way of, of, getting to know somebody and following somebody. So versus, okay, we can go and, and look at a post and somebody can, you know, throw some words on there, some quotes, whatever. We don't even know if that was them that even made that quote up or, or, you know, it's just a, a shiny, a shiny picture that, you know, okay, well uh, let me look at all their other shiny pictures and I'm going to decide if I want to follow them or not. Right. Well, there since it's a link to your, your bio in clubhouse. So there's like a, there's, there's layers of where you go to. So when people are speaking, which it's really difficult. And since you speak, it's hard to, I don't know, man, there's something about the listening to somebody speak and that moves you. And if you understand tonation and all of the stuff that goes with that, I believe that it's really hard to fool somebody into who you are when you're speaking in a, in a, in a, in a, not in a, in a professional way, but just like in a, a, a social way, right? Cause you kind of let your guard down, you're speaking and not trying to impress anybody. You're just talking. And when you're just talking and people are listening to you, when I listen to somebody, I go, oh, wow, I like what they just said. I go hit their bio. I li- look a little bit more about mm-hmm. them. Oh, look what they're – okay, so, wow, I intersect with this person right here, and we've got this in common. And then I go down to see where they're – if they got an Instagram or they got a Twitter, and I'll go and I'll hit their Instagram, and I'll look there even further. And, and if I like what I see there, then I'll go ahead and follow them. And so it's a lot different than the models that I don't know if you've been in the, like the groups in Facebook where, you know, for the podcasting ones, Oh, follow for follow, like for like. And it's like, okay, you got a bunch of people that are following you, but I mean, they're just following you because they want numbers and it's inorganic. And so I would much clubhouse. It is a more organic connection because there's also not that whole, like oh you you don't you shouldn't you should make more people follow you it's it's actually good to follow more people on clubhouse because you find out if you're interested in what someone's saying we'll find out what other rooms spend time in find out what other stuff is out there and i'm still learning it dude i'm i'm pretty new i've only been on it for I want to say maybe a month. Really? Yes. I, I, I don't have the little new thing. At, you party know, like when you first joined, you have that the party hat. <laughs> I, I've graduated from my party hat, so I don't have the party hat anymore. But I, I mean, I, I want to say, I, I guess you have that for like the first two weeks or so. So I've been on for, I want to say about a month. Okay. Uh, I could actually probably find because I remember I just, I was, I was interested uh, in it because I was just hearing about it. And a buddy of mine just posted, I think on Facebook, actually, that he had some invites. And I messaged him and, and I asked. No, I actually don't know how to invite people yet. I haven't figured that out. I know I have some invites that I can invite people eventually, but I haven't figured that out yet. I mean, I'm sure it's easy. I, I just haven't done it yet. But there's some setting I need to switch to be able to do that part. Yeah, I think but, it's, 
Anyway, I like it. I mean, I I haven't had – I've used it for a couple different things. I use it for just kind of like it's a more fun LinkedIn. Like, like I use it to connect with other people in writing or film and TV or podcasting or comedy or whatever else. So I use it for that. I also will randomly use it to try to get better at Italian. Okay. So I'll just go in Italian, which which sometimes makes me nervous because I, I mean I have a reasonable grasp of the language, like, but I'm not fluent. So like sometimes I, I get worried because I know like now other people are like reporting what people are doing mm-hmm. on Clubhouse, you know. So so I always get nervous. Like, what if I'm in some Italian room and they're actually saying horrible things, but I just understand a couple words here yeah. and there so i have no idea what they're actually talking about <laughs> and then someone's like Raphael was in this really fucked up room where they were saying all this horrible shit and he wasn't it's like i didn't know what they were saying i'm just trying to learn a language i didn't yeah, know yeah, like yeah. so uh i mean not i mean i'm you know i'm joking nothing like that would ever happen but you know it's still like sometimes i think about that where i'm like i hope they're not talking about something terrible because i'm just picking up words but usually when i'm in those rooms i, I kind of have a grasp on what they're talking about to an extent. And, and so I use it for that. And then um, recently I used it for something way different. I'm working, there's a screenplay I'm working on where I wanted to get into um, like basically into the mind of the Uber capitalist, mm-hmm. you know, not Uber, the, the, but like the super capitalist. So I went into this real estate room and I got exactly what I needed out of it because this dude, um, he was talking about how you can evict people during the pandemic. Uh, and uh. which, by the way, if, you, if you're curious, it's a landlord's lien is how they can do it. That's how they're able to still get away with it. And in some states, they don't permit this, but in some states they do. And if it's in your lease they can technically still evict you. And and listening to this dude and the stuff he was saying, he goes, yeah, you know, these people have money. They have money. I mean, you see, he said something like, you see discarded Xboxes on the side of the road. And, and, and he's going on and on. He's like, look, I'll tell you what, it might not make you the most popular person in the world, but I brought this up at the, the landlord's convention on Zoom at Dada Dada. I got a standing ovation. Like he's basically yeah, bragging. Yeah. That he was he was talking about the loophole on how to evict people and, and a bunch of other folks were applauding him for this and standing up for him. So it, it was like I came looking for evil and I feel like I got it. I, I got what I needed for the for the script, which I guess is uh, a, a very, very minor way of making lemonade out of lemons because the, the fact that this the fact that this guy is doing yeah. that is uh, is a lot worse than me getting some inspiration for a script I'm writing, but I mean, he's still he's going to exist either way. I mean, that's yeah. Know. And then those type of people so. will exist no matter what. You know, it's it's just the way yeah. that the world works. You know, he's a uh, he he he's a he's a licensed uh, legal loser. You know, I mean, it's mm. but you know that that's it was something, man. It was something to behold. It was something to so so. I I, I mean, I try not to make a habit out of doing stuff like that because that's just you know pretty depressing and heavy and things are depressing enough and heavy enough right now. But, but I did, I, I was looking for some, uh, some ideas for a project. It's just, so I went into like rooms like that. <laughs> I know people that do that. I mean, you hear, um, 
the comedian Chris Dillon, he did a whole segment on just the clubhouse rooms he would go into <laughs> where where he was saying stuff like it, it's these billionaires talking about how they're going to rule the world. Basically, I haven't been to anything quite like that, but I have seen I have been in rooms where it's like, oh, this guy owns a ton of this is a super powerful person who's talking right now about, you know, how they de-stress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's an interesting place, man. It really yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like like YouTube. You can really just go in and, and type in what it is you're looking to find or you want to hear. And you, there's tons of clubs and, and you know, there's tons of different rooms uh, that are at that time or on a schedule. And you can find out whatever you want. Uh, Lex Friedman's in there quite often. So is uh, Brett Weinstein and Eric Weinstein. They're in there quite a bit. Um, so yeah, there's, I like it. It's, it's really, it's really, I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody's ever really experienced that, like that type of communication and that openness. And, and like most of the rooms that I go into, people are, are giving value before they're taking it. And yeah, yeah, I agree. That's, that's completely opposite of what we're used to. Right. It is. No, in many ways it is. It's kind of like, and they say that right away. Like when you're, when you're trying to learn how to use clubhouse, they're, they're like, give before you take. And again, like that thing we were talking about where, where it's like, you want to make connections. Mm-hmm. You want to follow. It's like a, it's like a way cooler, more personal LinkedIn in many ways. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not necessarily the most thorough of explanations, but I think it's kind of in the ballpark. And, what I'm curious about is what kind of life it'll have once the pandemic's over. Yeah. Well, the one thing that I'm curious about too is that, all right, well, how long are they going to let it go? Uh, this, this type of free speech where it's unfiltered. You can talk about anything you want in there. And the crazy thing is too, is that is I, I, I've, it's crazy how people are censoring themselves right now. Like even when something will come up, like I was in a room last night and something came up about the pandemic and, you know, the, the masks and like all of the stuff that, you know, that could go either way, you know, uh, and people started, somebody came in and started the conversation and then it like quickly got pushed, pushed away and nobody wanted to talk about it. And, that's like, okay, well, I, I mean, I get that you don't want to talk about it, but we should be talking about it because there are so many inconsistencies around it from, you know, different camps of medical professionals saying one thing and another camp, you know, the other half of them are saying another thing when we're all biological beings and I mean, biology is biology, right? I mean, if there's only like one, I don't know. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. There's a lot of things that don't make sense to me about what's going on. So I hope that they don't come in and try to regulate it. Just like they talked about doing it with podcasting and also too, with the YouTube news programs, they're trying to, you know, ban those because they don't want us to be, They've been trying to do that for a while. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not trying to make light of it because, you know, I mean, it is a pretty heavy thing and, and it's affected a lot of people. It's affected me. I mean, it's affected a lot of people. Um, but 
this it's not like this no. is new. I mean, this has been I mean, pretty much from Adpocalypse, which I want to say was what was that 2017, 2018, I think. I mean, that was a couple years ago at this point. I mean, but ever since then, it's been you know, it's it's been a rocky ride ever since then. And and I don't know what the future holds in that regard. I mean, I feel like there's always going to be or at least I'd like to think there's all as long as there's a relative free and open internet, which uh, you know we we do have the risk of losing. That's why I talk about municipal broadband and net neutrality all the time. But um, you know, as long as we have that, there will always be some type of platform out there uh, that'll be you know viable. But but you know, I, I think we're going to be living in a post YouTube world eventually. I don't know when, yeah. but uh, but but I do think that's going to happen. Where you're just, I mean, I, I think, and and this is just an educated guess. I, I don't have any concrete evidence to support this, but I think at the end of the day, YouTube just really wants YouTube TV to be successful, and that's kind of where they want to take the brand they want to be this sort of cable alternative where you get these news channels in addition to everything that's offered on youtube and they want to kind of be a a separate thing from just users submitting videos yeah um and that's you know that that's their business i guess but um but yeah so 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 i do think you're gonna see a, a day where where you know, a lot of the YouTube streaming kind of becomes a thing of the past and people are all going to be on something else. And and I don't think it's going to be anything that's currently in the ethers. Like, I don't think it's just going to be Twitch or anything like that. I think there's going to be some, like a next generation of things that sprout up. Yeah. So. Well, there always is. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I just hope that they don't do anything with it anytime soon because I'm enjoying it immensely and it's helping me to heal because I'm able to go in there and tell my story, talk about, talk about things that, uh, you know, and have conversations that most people aren't having these days, you know, and, and a lot of the conversations that I'm hearing in there are usually things that you wouldn't hear outside of the, uh, or usually within the four walls of a, of a, uh, mental health person's office, you know? Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I haven't had anything super heavy. I mean, I guess it depends on what rooms you're going to. Like if you're going to rooms about like addiction Mm. or or whatever, right? I guess, but I, I've mostly been going to rooms like, yeah, like writing, film, TV, stuff like that. So I, I haven't encountered anything like crazy heavy. I mean, I've encountered some really interesting stuff, but nothing like super personal really like i i've actually my experience has kind of been the opposite like i asked uh i asked a kind of fun like personable question in a room once and everyone just sort of was like whoa that's not the topic <laughs> you know and, and it was it may, maybe it was just because it was so goofy but but yeah but it was a small room and i actually it was kind of a funny tech question because I, I was just like look sometimes i overlook things so I got to ask y'all because it's a small room and I feel like you won't make fun of me, uh, although it's okay if you do. But uh, is there a way you could DM on Clubhouse? Because I hear people say, DM me, and I keep wondering if they just mean Instagram or like their email address that they have on their profile or if they literally mean there's a way to DM on Clubhouse and I just don't know how to do it yet because it's possible I'm just overlooking something. And they were like, yeah, no, they mean like Instagram or something. There's no way to DM on Clubhouse. But, but they thought it was kind of... Yeah, like they, they weren't amused or wanting to 
be more personable. Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, maybe I maybe it was just like too weird or whatever. But yeah, yeah. The podcasting ones are really cool because there's there's a few people that I follow, and it's funny because when I'll pop into a room, all of a sudden I'll see like four or five people that follow me pop up in the audience and you know, they're wherever I go, I, they, they are following me and like, because I give a lot of free advice and stuff like that for, you know, starting a podcast and kind of what it takes and all the different uh, aspects of it. And, you know, some of the things that I've learned how to streamline, which is, you know, guest booking process that, you know, was really, that killed me in my, when I first began, cause you know, I, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. I was just some, some guy that, that, uh, had an idea and ran with it and, uh, learned from YouTube. So, and then a lot of the rooms too, I mean, are, uh, uh, criminal justice reform, prison reform, um, stuff like that. Cause I did start a nonprofit after all of this. So I am a 501 C three that I'm building a program right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. For uh transitional age youth, uh, males 18 to 24 i'm trying to build a living facility for them because i don't know if you're in california are you yeah yeah I live in Los okay Angeles. so the youth authority in california is shutting their doors uh between 2023 and 2025 they're no longer accepting um anybody in there to get sentenced there uh after july 1st of this year so there's going to be a huge need for like where are we going to where are these guys going to go you know, now that they, they're not going to go there. I mean, so it's going to be community-based programs. There are going to be other things like that. Um, I partnered with another uh, organization in my community, and they deal with juveniles, uh, transitional transitional age uh, youth, and then young adults, male and female. And so what I'm going to do is I'm partnering with them to start a podcast for their program. And I'm going to I'm going to take 16 to 21 year olds and they got to be separated because you can't have the juveniles with the adults. Um, so maybe probably two separate days and uh, teach them how to, you know, even in, in conceptualize like what a podcast is, because it's like way more than just saying, I want to start a podcast. All right, get a microphone. Sure. You know, you've got to have some planning into it. You've got to know what you're, you know, there's, there's a lot more that goes to it. And, the main reason why is because podcasting gave me my voice back, right? When I was coming back out and I felt like, you know, addiction and everything else. And I had something to say, but I wasn't really sure, you know, uh, anybody wanted to listen to me, but I knew I needed to get this story out because it was, it was, a, you know, it affected me. And so once I really started doing that and the more that I started talking about it, the more I started healing from it and, my confidence grew, my uh, self-esteem grew, everything blossomed out of that. And so I really want to bring that to them and teach them how to do that. And at some point, when you, when I get this, the couple students that rise above the rest of them, cause that always happens. You've got your people that are excel. Um, and when that one guy comes up or girl comes up, and uh, I see that they're capable, they're going to replace me. And now I can move on to do other things and they're going to run that program for uh, this community-based program. So that's awesome, man. That's yeah, really cool. So that's kind of what I'm into uh, currently at the moment. Uh, so one thing that I want to know is how did you get into comedy and then how did it lead you into being a part of Jimmy Dore and what he's doing um, specifically. 
Yeah, I kind of in, in my fake uh, my fake song intro was actually a pretty accurate <laughs> descriptor. I, um, you know, I, I started. It's kind of funny in a way. I came full circle because in college I, I got involved in mm-hmm. radio, and first it was campus radio, then it was community radio, and then um, I wanted to kind of do like like morning radio like like sketches and and talk and stuff like that and i was really into politics just as a as a person and so i thought that was like what i wanted to do like do like a a, a funny like lefty morning show basically or something like that and and this was shortly this was right around the time air america was going and places like that so i i was i was intrigued by the whole thing and um I saw this article online that said a good way to get into all that or a way to get into all that is through stand-up comedy. And I didn't really know much about stand-up, but I played in bands in high school and stuff like that. So I, I thought, well, I, I, being on stage, I'm, I'm not a stranger to that. I, I can I can get into that. So I uh, I tried it. And I didn't know what I was doing, so I you know I failed miserably for a while. But um, – but I kept doing it, and then I moved out to Seattle, where there was a uh, very good comedy scene. And I went out there because I just wanted, you know, a different experience. I just wanted to like go out west. I never, you know, I never really spent time out west before. Um, you know, now I've, you know, I've lived in the West Coast for a good portion of my adult <laughs> life. But you know, at the time, I was like just out of college. I went to Indiana University, so I moved out to Seattle got really into the comedy scene there, start started taking it, you know, very seriously. And um I eventually started getting what we just call road gigs, which are exactly what they sound like. You get booked on the road. And I mean I still to this day on an old computer have my first itinerary <laughs> saved. Because you, you would get booked like by these and they still exist. They're like these different agencies that like book a bunch of comedy nights all across the country. So they'll book you to do a run. And I remember my first run, it was, it was pretty insane actually. Cause I was going from, uh, Seattle to, I think like Pocatello, Idaho <laughs> to like Bozeman, Montana to like Idaho falls. And it, it was this crazy. And, and there are these things that, exists in the industry called triple runs and they're, they're kind of like a rite of passage in the comedy world. Cause there are these gigs that are in that part of the country where there is a lot of driving where you might be driving like 10 hours in between gigs and shit like that. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And I remember like, I just felt like I was on top of the world. Like I was like, I'm going on the yeah, road. Yeah. And, and I remember I was so excited. Like I, like I was just, I was just on cloud nine. I mean, I still remember that week. It was like one of the coolest weeks of my life. And, uh, and then you just started getting booked more and more often. And you, you know, and then I, I re I went back to Pennsylvania, uh, to go to graduate school. I'm from Pittsburgh originally. So I went back to Pittsburgh and when I was in grad school, I started doing a lot of weekends. Like I was getting a lot of weekends booked and uh and it was it was going okay and and i really you know i finished my masters and i was trying to figure out do i go on for my phd or do i really uh take a chance on this comedy thing and i just realized that every time i had to 
miss a road gig. Every time I couldn't take a road gig because there was no way I could pull it off. And I really tried to pull it off the absolute best I could. I mean, I drove across state lines overnight to be on campus the next morning. I wrote most of my papers in a hotel room on the road. I mean, I, I really did balance them both and and not phone in either one. I took comedy very – I would go to open mics to work on material right after class. I would, you know, like like save a spot ahead of time so I could just come straight from class because I would, I would get to class after signups, you know. Um, and I just – I was just really committed and I realized – I'm like, look, I really hated – missing a shitty bar gig in Virginia or something because of school. So clearly this is more important to me. And clearly I really want to freaking do this. So I decided not to go on for the PhD. And um, I made that decision at the beginning of like the fall or excuse me, the spring semester. So I realized I was like, okay, I graduate in May. So in May, I just I'm just going to be out of school and maybe I can be a comedian for that month. Maybe I'll maybe I'll make enough money in, for one month that I can be a comedian. And so I just started booking uh, as many shows as I could. And I knew that I wanted to book for May and beyond, uh, which summer is actually a pretty tough time for stand up in, in that part of the country. Because like people, there aren't as many shows around because people want to be outside yeah. longer, you know, in that part of the country. In California, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but. In other parts of the country, it does. But um, but still, I, I just really was militant about it. And I booked enough gigs that I was able to do nothing but comedy for like a couple months. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is – and maybe if I start booking ahead, I'll, I'll be able to do it for a couple more months. And that was almost 10 years ago now. That was in 2012. So That's awesome, you know, man. Still, still moving on one month at a time. But then – as far as Jimmy, um, you know, at, at one point, both of us were on the Young Turks Network and we met through that. Um, I was just one of the, you know, like outside correspondent people that was on their network. And that's how I met Jimmy initially. I would go to L.A. every now and again. I would try to do some of their uh, some of their shows, like some of their I think a lot of these shows they don't have anymore, but they, they used to have like different types of shows uh, on the network. Like they had this show called on point and I did that once with Jimmy and uh, what year would that have been? I want to say maybe 2013 mm -hmm. or something. And so I knew him and I, and I knew who Jimmy was. I mean, I watched Jimmy's first special when I was in college. Like I knew who yeah. he was. Um, but then we, we met then and I was like, Oh, you're Jimmy Dore. Cool to meet you. You know, I, I know I watched your first special and we would just, you know, once a year or so I'd email him. If I, you know, liked a phone call, I'd be like, Oh, this phone call, baby laugh. How are you? Um, and then when I moved to LA, I, I, uh, you know, it's one of those things when you move to LA, you're pretty much starting all over again. Like I, I'd been on the road full time for like, what, four or five years at that point, it didn't matter. You know, like none of that mattered. Uh, I was just basically a new comic again in LA, which was fine. I, I was yeah, stoked. Yeah. And uh, at that time I was doing a lot of college gigs and that was, you know, basically what paid my bills. I, I would leave town to go for college gigs, which were good because I'd only be gone for like mm -hmm. a day or two. And then I spent the rest of the time in LA 
you know, just kind of doing odd jobs when I had to to get by. Like I was a pet walk, I was a pet walker, a pet sitter and dog walker. <laughs> um, which actually, actually really, sometimes I, sometimes I wonder, I'm like, would it be weird if I emailed some of my old clients just to ask how their dogs and cats are? Cause I do genuinely think about them and miss them. Like, I don't know if that's appropriate, yeah, yeah, you know, right. but, but I think about some of my old clients. I'm just like, I wonder how Milo's doing. I think I love that freaking dog. I really did. I love that freaking dog. Um, I love so many of those dogs, like, like so much. I really did. And so I, I really love being a pet sitter, but, uh, but it wasn't what I really wanted yeah, to do yeah. with my life. But, um, but yeah, I, so they say in LA when, when you get to town and you're starting all over again, you should just go, uh, anywhere and everywhere you can and just try to talk to whoever. So I was doing the whole, you know, go to the comedy store, just hang out and just, just see who you might be able to talk to and just introduce yourself and go to open mics and work on material, meet people and, and be social. And I've never been a super, super social butterfly guy. Like I've never been like that. Uh, you know, what's, what's a good word for it? Like super, like, uh, uh, networker. What, what, what's, yeah, like, 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 I'm not bad at it, but I'm not great at it. Like, I, in group situations, I, I kind of want to just be a fly on the yeah, wall. Yeah. So I'm not super good at like, oh yeah, we should collaborate. Like, I'm not super great at that. Um, so, so I would try to like be in places where I had a little bit of a point of connection. So I, I would look at like the show listings and stuff like that. And I'd be like, well, who do I know? And sure enough, about Six weeks after I was in town, I look at the club calendars for all the different comedy clubs and at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, Jimmy Dore is headlining. And this was just stand up. This wasn't a live Jimmy Dore show. This was before he was doing that as frequently. I'm pretty sure. But, uh, you know, I was like, I know Jimmy. So I showed up to the (laughs) show and uh, I watched it. And that was when he was starting, you know, to sell more tickets, like more people were uh were you know like like his show was just growing yeah. I, I mean you know it, he definitely had a following for a long time but it, it was growing to the point where he was really filling up rooms i mean the show was sold out and it was a bunch of lefties in the audience and stuff and i was like this is pretty cool this, this is this is badass what's going on right now uh you know i, I didn't see this at, at my road gigs you know this wasn't something you see uh in the world i'm just coming from so I waited until after I went up to him and I'm like, Hey, Jimmy, it's, it, he goes, I know you. And I'm like, yeah, it's Rob Placone. And you know, we, we met and he goes, well, what's up, man? I'm like, I moved here. And he goes, Oh good. Were you living in like Oklahoma or something? And I was like, no, no, no Nashville. And he goes, oh, all right. And I was like, dude, I, I'd love to, you know, collaborate, man. I, I know you're expanding the show. I, I'd love to be involved. Like maybe I could, you know, maybe, maybe, you give me a shot. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, and he goes, hey, sure, man. Yeah, we should chat. And, um, yeah, he invited me to do his show and I went and then he invited me again and I went and, you know, I guess it's, it started going okay. And, and, uh, then he was like, Hey man, you should, um, you should do some writing for this show. And, and I started writing for the show and he did some of my jokes at a live show and it went really well. It, it kind of just connected with the audience pretty good. And he goes, you did a good job. They, they really liked the stuff yeah, yeah. you wrote. Did you hear them? And I was like, yeah, I heard them. It was pretty, fr- pretty freaking <laughs> awesome. And, uh, and then it just blossomed into, you know, what it is. 
That's a great so. story, man. Um, so what would you, what advice would you have or not advice, but what, what misconceptions do you think, uh, people have when they're first getting in, trying to get into, um, doing comedy? You know, what are the things that they, that, uh, that, that they may have misconceptions about? And does that, does that question make sense? Cause, yeah, sure. Um, no, go well, ahead. no, 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 I was going to say, cause it, it kind of doesn't make sense to me, but it does. So uh, it, it's, does it, is it as coming out as, as weird to you as it is to me? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't think so. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but I, I think a lot of people, you know, this is the way I feel. And, and, you know, if you ask 10 comics this question, you will get 10 different mm -hmm. answers, but, you know, my take on it is there is no one way that works for everybody. There are a couple things that are applicable to 99% mm -hmm. of us. And that one thing is, is, well, it's not one thing, but, but those things, as far as I'm concerned, are the following. Write as much as you can. Try to write every day and get, well, you can't do this right now, but, but when you can, and I guess you kind of can with Zoom, but it's not quite the same. But get on stage as much as you possibly can, especially when you're starting out, like as much as you possibly can. Not to the point where you'll just completely burn yourself out, but as much as you possibly can, um, you know, at least a couple times a week, at least. I think that's, you know, when I was when I was really trying to build stand up and really trying to hone that craft and figure out what it means to be a great stand up. I mean, I was getting on stage, you know, five, six times a week wow. and I loved it. You know, I, I loved it. And, you know, I, I still, I mean, even now, I mean, I'll still like go to an open mic every, you know, like every time I have to, cause you know, in LA it's like, it's a lot tougher to get booked at, at, you know, decent club spots because you're competing with some of the biggest comedians in the world, literally. So, uh, although Joe Rogan left, so now there, there, there might be a little more room now, now, now that Rogan and a, a couple heavy hitters have left, but, um, but still, so, you know, I mean, I would still go to an open mic every now and again, just to work on new material and, and stuff like that. And to make sure I didn't get, um, rusty yeah. and especially like right before a tour or something I'd, I'd try to get up a couple times to you know uh get ready to go on the road and uh so i think that's pretty much the only advice worth taking i i think a lot of comics uh myself included at least um you know, you, you kind of think there is just one set way to get to where you want to be. There isn't. And, you know, comics that will try to give you the, this, this roadmap of what to do and what not to do. I think a lot of times they mean well, but it might be really shitty advice. <laughs> yeah. It might be like, like a lot of comics, like, 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 and again, I'm sure they mean well, but Sometimes I'm not saying that you can't write together or that a comic might not have a great tag that'll really work for your joke. Of course, that happens all the time. But sometimes it's like a comic will give joke advice and I'll like overhear it or something. I'll be like, you're not giving them advice on their joke. You're you're telling them how you would do their yeah, joke. Yeah. You're like basically giving them their joke, but with your persona. 
So it's not going to work for them. You know why? Because they're not fucking you. So it's not authentic anymore. And I think people mean well when they do that, but it's not it's not good advice. And I've seen comics take really shitty advice before and, and you kind of feel bad because, you know, and that's why I'm always very like I don't want to give someone advice that might not be applicable to them. So I always just say, you know, when people ask me, which, you know, I mean, for for a long time, no one gave a shit what I had to say. <laughs> but 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 now I, I get asked that a, a little more often. And, and you know, I'm always like, look, I, I think the only advice I can give that's really worth taking is write as much as you can, get on stage as much as you can and everything else. It, 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 you'll start figuring it out because no no two cases are the same. I, I mean, if you're trying to do something similar to what I'm doing or, or you're kind of into some of the same things as me, well, then I can, you know, kind of offer you what I've learned and stuff like that. But, you know, every comic is different. And I mean, hey, I'll, I'll put it this way. I had a uh, a uh, club owner say to a group of us, and this was his sage advice, never talk about politics or religion. If I took that advice, I would not have a career uh, I obviously talk yeah, about yeah. politics a good bit. My first album was called Agnostic Holiday. So I did not take that <laughs> advice. And if I did, I wouldn't have a freaking career. No, that's great. That's great advice. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, you know, everything is uh, it's different for everybody in, in everything, in every aspect of everything, you know, from diets and, and you know, how we eat, you know, uh, different foods affect us differently because we're not all the same. Um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, that, that's, uh, really where it's at. Uh, another thing I want to, I want to kind of veer over into the progressive, uh, policies, politics, whatever you want to call it, uh, aspect of, of kind of what you do. And I've, uh, are you familiar with Steve Grumbine? Uh, yeah, I know that name. He's, real uh, progressives. he's the MMT. Yeah. yeah. He has real progressives, which I think they're actually, they're rooted in Pennsylvania where Are I'm they? from. I, I, th- I, th- I think so. I, I want to say Steve is, I know that, um, Savage Joy used to be, do stuff with them. She doesn't anymore. She's with Roar Media now, but she, I know she is for sure in Pennsylvania. And I want, I want to say some of the other folks are too, but, but I, I can't. I don't know that for sure, but, but yeah, short answer. Yeah. I, I, I'm familiar with him. Um, I know who yeah, he is. Yeah. I've had him on my show. So before, so I went on this little, uh, what you want to call it, uh, trying to figure out where I fit politically. Right. Cause I'd never up until this last year, I'd never voted before. I, I, I didn't actually think that I could since I'm a felon and I found out that I could. So for like, for 2016, I, in California, you can. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah, yeah, because I okay. did. Yeah, I know. I know every state's different. That well, that's awesome. I mean, I I think all felons should be allowed to vote. And um, but uh, yeah, I know, I know that's not the case in every state. I think they were fighting. I think it was Ohio. They were fighting for it recently. I don't know. I don't know if it ended up passed or what. But I think they were trying to get felons the right to vote in uh, in Ohio. I, I want to say it was Ohio, but, but, well, but that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that in California. Yeah. So what I ended up doing is I had him on the show, um, to talk about modern monetary theory and he kind of ran me through, you know, progressive politics or actually uh, how to figure out like where you fit 
And then I had uh, Spike Cohen on to talk about libertarians and like, what are you guys offering? You know, what for somebody who's, who doesn't know anything. And so I was just trying to feel it out. And well, who sold you better? Where, where are you, where are you, where do you, where do you think you fit in? I don't know. You know, I like, I like, uh, I like more, more of the people that I like are progressive people, you know, people that follow progressive stuff like Jimmy Dore, uh, Steve Grumbine, uh, the folks that did the, uh, true crime documentary series, uh, the con. I'm not familiar with that. You, you haven't seen the con? No. Oh man, you got to check that out. So I was able to screen All this, right. uh, this true crime documentary series and, it really it it broke it down in layman's terms and and these are it's like 6 hours long right and i literally watched this thing 3 times so i spent 18 hours watching this this documentary uh and it was so fascinating to me because they broke down the 2008 financial crisis in a, in layman's terms to where the average guy could understand it like they like everything that the big short didn't tell you they did including all the, oh, including right all the whistleblowers everything the people that tried to come forward and weren't a lot and you know because in a bureaucracy it, it only goes as high as they'll let it go right you know when you try to whistleblow yeah. or, or you know bring bring light information and uh yeah so patrick uh patrick lavelle uh eric vaughn and a couple of other folks i've had on my show and uh, yeah, this is a, it was a great series and Steve Grumbine. Now uh, they started one and I'll put it on the uh, ticker tape below the real untouchables, which is uh, a series that they started. And basically they're having all of these people um, that were on that show uh, come and talk and have like a di- dialogue um, for that. And so they really called out the establishment and, you know, the financial, uh, you know, the, fuckery that goes on um and all of that so yeah i would check it out man it's an it's an awesome series and it really it really paints the picture of like how how it worked and how the top was really involved in the whole scheme of it right mm-hmm. and then on the back side of that i ended up uh running across this woman who did three years in federal prison and she was actually helping people stay in their homes in 2009. She was calling out illegal foreclosures. She helped like 800 black families stay in their homes. She was in the DC, uh, Baltimore area or, or Baltimore, Maryland area. She was on the board of the NAACP. And because she wouldn't play ball with some of the bigger, uh, people, above like i don't know the the wealthier people that were trying to tell her not to 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 quit saying they were illegal foreclosures but they were uh and they you know they all find loopholes how to get people out of their homes right and uh they ended up tying her in with a conspiracy and all this other stuff i mean this lady's a phd i like why would she why would she do that you know it just didn't make any sense so she Mm. did three years and she got out and, uh, you know, now she's, she went to the Supreme court and she's on her way back to the Supreme court and she's speaking out about it now. And, uh, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people that are, you know, justice impacted and to the point where like, I have so many people that I talk to that are in the, ju- so if you think about it, most people are usually probably one to three people removed or somebody that, you know, is been in, impacted by the justice system in, in some way or shape or form or other, right? Sure. And so 
my my goal now is to um, start a network, uh, justice impacted network, and start throwing channels in there that have to do with certain aspects of being justice impacted. And hopefully that's going to be the catalyst that helps to bring attention to what I'm doing and funding uh, for the nonprofit and the, the housing facility. So it's. Yeah. I have a, I have a buddy named uh, Ryan Leone that, uh, that I think you would like, if you know, who no, that I never, is. I don't know the name. He's an author and he's, uh, he's doing, he's, he has a YouTube channel now that, that I think is pretty popular. And I, I met him at a reading years ago in LA. Uh, and I got his book and I, I enjoyed it. Like I, his book's really good. It's called Wasted Talent. And I think he has another one coming out too. But I read his book and then we just kind of, you know, he did my, I did an interview with him and then we just sort of became friendly. Um, and then he, we reconnected, um, we reconnected a couple years down the road because, uh, a friend of his was actually a really big fan of the Chibi Tour show. And, and he's like, dude, one of my friends got all excited when he found out that we knew each other. <laughs> I'm like, well, cool, man. It's, it's good to reconnect with you. And then, you know, we got lunch and kind of caught up and reconnected. But, uh, but yeah, he, um, he's, he's done some time and, and he's, you know, and in, in his case, he, he's made some mistakes yeah, in yeah. his life and he, you know, admits to that he has done, you know, some, some bad things in his, I mean, I don't know if you have or not, it's not my business, but you know, he definitely has, and he, you know, admits to that, but he's, um, you know, really tried to turn his life around and has been turning his life around and, and he's, you know, doing well as a writer now and, and he writes screenplays and he, I think he has a nonprofit that he's been trying to develop too, but, but I haven't chatted with him in a while, but yeah, he, he seems like somebody you would, um, you would benefit uh, connecting. Yeah, I definitely love to talk to him because I mean, if and if he needs help starting his nonprofit, I had a, uh, I had a lawyer uh, or somebody I interviewed uh, had a lawyer that did it pro bono, and I started asking her questions like I normally do when I'm get curious about something, and she connected me with her, and she did that whole process for me for free, uh, pro bono, and cool. so even the five hundred one c three, all of that stuff got done uh, by her. So I'm in the process of putting a board together right now and and sort of uh, honing in exactly what it is I want to do. I got a, a meeting tomorrow with a couple of lawyers to try and see how I can do it legally um, and you know or make sure what I'm doing is on is legal. Uh, so. And if it's not, then how do we figure out how to make it legal and 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 make this thing work? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean. As far as, as, as that goes, I mean, um, what, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty, you speak out quite a bit about different things, you know, the squad and how they're just, you know, the justice Democrats are just Democrats. They're not really anything, you know, they, they, they slid in there under, under the, uh, assumption that they were going to, you know, push Medicare for all and all the things that, you know, with this pandemic. And I'm one of the people that, my uh medicals attached to my wages and you know if i hadn't been lucky enough uh through this thing i mean i probably wouldn't have medical and neither would my daughter and these are real things and real issues that can be done i mean there's no reason why they can't especially with yeah. mmt and if you believe in mmt and you understand what modern monetary theory is our taxes never make it back around to fund anything. You know, they have plenty of, they have plenty right. of money. Um, all they do is just create it. 
You know, they are the currency creator. Well, they, they, they just create it. I mean, not only do they create it, but it's like you also have to factor in Wall Street and, and the estimated worth of Wall Street, where it's like if you even just if you even just tax them a little bit, which, you know, which even a lot of MMT folks will agree, like, yeah, we should just do that because they just have way too freaking yeah. much. Like, like they, they shouldn't have that much. But so. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. And I think. Well, anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. What was no, 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 no. Keep going. I, I, expand your thought. I want to hear it. Well, I, I just think this year has really shown just how hard electoralism in general has completely just. I don't even want to say abandon us because they it never had our back in the mm-hmm. first place. And, you know, we have a system that is just rotten to its core. And is that the squad's fault? Well, of course not. It was rotten to the core yeah. long before they came around. But that doesn't mean that that gives them a pass to not use leverage when they have it. it you know, it, it's almost like it's almost like, OK, we sent you into this burning building and we know that you're outnumbered and we know that you don't have enough to really put out this fire, but here's a hose to, to get started. And then you go back in and you're like, how's that hose working out? And you find out they didn't use the hose at all, but they nicknamed the fire mama bear. And you're like, okay, uh, this is not what, what, what we thought was going to go down. So, I mean, yeah, the rot of the system is far beyond them. I mean, they're not anywhere close to the biggest problem, but you know, it just goes to show you that, you know, you, you don't really have any allies to look to. And and if you're just if you're going to tell me that all these people are going to do is tweet nice. Well, that's not enough. And and I think that you have to recognize that systemic mm-hmm. failure and you really have to. I mean, I, I think nothing is going to get better um, without, first of all, just just local community engagement and, and activism at the local level and then just direct action that leads to something bigger. Like, I think we need a general strike. I, I think there is no other answer yes. than it. I mean, if there's a, if there's a better answer, I'm listening, please let me know what it is. But I, I think general strike is the only way to kind of get what we need. Because I mean, when you, the last time labor was truly organized in this country, really organized, and that doesn't mean they got along on everything they didn't but the last time they were organized just enough and i'm talking the socialists the communists the anarchists the unions labor it was uh the same time we got a new Mm -hmm, deal mm -hmm. that's what happened and they didn't get along on everything i mean lucy parsons emma goldman uh eugene debs like all these people they had differences they they had they butted heads they differed on strategy but they were united just enough to really get systemic change in the country and that's the last time anything like that happened and through years of mccarthyism through years of propaganda the left has been just decimated in the united states i mean we haven't had a true victory in almost a hundred years literally um so it's a very fractured thing and now I feel like we're starting to gel again. It's starting to, I mean, I, well, I guess I wasn't alive for the first one, so I don't know for sure, but it feels like there, there's a gelling happening that has not happened in my lifetime at the very least. 
And um, it's still a very fractured thing and a very imperfect thing. But you kind of hope we can get along just enough to get a mass action going, be it a general strike or something similar. And I, and I think general strikes, the only, the only way I think it's general strike or bust. I really, well, it's do. the only thing that's going to get people's attention, right? It's the, the corporation's attention. Yeah. And I think that we should have done that in the beginning of the pandemic when we were all getting paid to stay at home and nobody said so the, the problem with, with the general strike and what people don't do and being in a union is you've got folks that have, have ex- overextended themselves to where they had, they, they cannot not go to work. Right. And that's what right. keeps them from doing a general strike is because, well, I got the family, I got this, I got all these bills to pay for. I got the wife that's, you know, accustomed to the life that she's living. And if, you know, I don't keep this boat floating and she might go and find somebody else to, to, to hop on a ship with. <laughs> you know? Well, I, it's worse than that, man. I mean, it's a lot of people and this is by mm-hmm. design. So, I mean, I don't fault we the people for the fact that there's not a general strike. I mean, it's nobody's fault. It just takes a lot of organizing during an unprecedented Mm -hmm. time. And I don't have all the answers. I don't know who does. Um, And also we don't have, you know, we don't have the Eugene Debs of our generation. We don't have the Lucy Parsons of our generation, the Emma Goldman's. I don't know where they are, but, but we need them. We really do. And, uh, and I think it's, you know, people are worried about losing their home. People are worried about not being able to feed their children. People are worried about not being able to get their medicine and they're living paycheck to paycheck as mm-hmm. is. So, yeah, they're in a situation where they really don't have a choice. And I think that's where really extensive mutual aid comes in, where people are looking out for their communities to allow something like a general strike to be a possibility. And it's going to take every I mean, it's going to take uh, food supplies. It's going to take child care. It's going to take it's going to take mm-hmm. doctors. I really like it's going to take doctors being on board where it's like, okay, in case something happens while this strike is going on, will you help out as much as you can if someone gets injured or if someone, I mean, really like it's going to take a mass community effort, but I don't know what other, I don't know what other option there is. Like, I, I just think that has to happen. I mean, people, when people were saying things like Joe Biden is going to be our FDR, that was comically ridiculous on so many <laughs> levels. We all know the the only marks Joe Biden has even heard of is Groucho. <laughs> but but Joe Biden could be could be an LBJ. And what I mean by that, LBJ was a shitty, shitty politician and an asshole. But LBJ signed some pretty OK things, some really great things, actually. Why did LBJ do it? Was it because he had a change of heart? No, it's because he was scared shitless. What would happen if he didn't? It was it was because he knew that, that the people would just just say, hey, we've had enough and just just go on strike or, or whatever else. He knew that would happen if he didn't sign the, the things that he signed. So he did. So we have a chance that if Joe Biden looks out and he says these people are they're going to shut shit down. They are going to shut shit down. If I don't do this, this and this, I think it'll happen. I think Joe Biden will be like, I don't have a choice. I think any president would be like, I don't have a choice. So uh, Joe Biden's not going to be our FDR, but uh, Joe Biden might be 
are LBJ in a best case yeah. scenario. So let's make him be that LBJ. Yeah. yeah. No, you, I, I'm not a fan of Biden just because he was the one that, that caused the, uh, the 90, he signed the 94 crime bill. I mean, or authored it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he put his signature on it. I'm sure a, a group like Alec are, are the ones that actually wrote the damn thing. I think he he participated in it, didn't he? I mean, he he I mean, he says he did. He takes credit for it. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of these politicians, they I mean, the the lobbying companies write all their stuff for them. All they do is just sure. they, okay. co- they copy yeah. and paste, uh, you know, their name yeah. into it, and oh, well, look what I did, you know. He ran it through spell yeah, check. right? Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then now he's, you know, hopefully he starts to fix that problem. But I mean, who knows? He said he's going to, you know, do the things with the uh, prisons. But it, none of the prisons that he's talking about stopping the privatization of it has to do with the federal prisons. And the federal. Yeah, isn't it like it's like 0.5% or something like that, that whole prison thing he said? It was like this very small. Percentage. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with the federal federal prisons, which Unicor is in, which all mm-hmm. of the money gets made through Unicor. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and these guys are making a dollar, you know, to I think they can top out at two bucks an hour. Um, and they're, you know, I talked to a, a woman that was locked up and I was talking with her and she was an accountant for one of the Unicors. And she said that they're, they made like 500, uh, 500 million or 500,000. They made some exorbitant amount of money there. And like we're 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 paying forty forty four thousand dollars a year to house an inmate one inmate for one year, and you have a, a self sustaining uh, ecosystem of commerce coming out of this prison. Why are we paying for that? You know, if if you could sustain yourself and still make a profit, I, I don't get it. And so, you know, there's just a lot of, I mean, every, in every aspect, when you really start looking at it, you've got the, the, the prison industrial complex, you've got the financial industrial complex, you have all of these other things that are all legs of, of the, the global octopus, if you want to call it that. And they all Mm -hmm. kind of run on the same model. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I sent you my link tree because there's a, uh, there's a, a documentary in, in one of those links. And if you see it, it's called, uh, everything's a rich man's trick. And cool. that is like a sum, a summation of the last hundred years in three and a half hours. And I interviewed the, uh, the guy that, that wrote it or not wrote it, but it was his documentary. Like last Saturday, his name's uh, Francis Richard Connolly. And it's really worth a watch. Honestly, it is. It cool, is. Um, it, yeah. It, yeah, I've not heard of it, but I'll, I'll have to look into yeah, it. Yeah, it definitely opened my eyes when I watched it, and it was like, holy smokes. Like, I didn't realize that all of the engines in the trucks uh, during World War II from the Nazis that they were driving were Fords. They were Ford in, they were Ford oh, yeah. engines, yeah, you know, yeah. the trading with the enemy act and how we're allowed, you know, so we may be at Oh, and we and we brought we brought a bunch of I mean we brought Nazis over to help us get to space and and they uh they they allude to it in uh Doctor Strange yeah yeah uh, Operation which is a movie um yeah which which is a movie I actually uh, admittedly uh, uh I'm I'm kind of ashamed to admit saw for the first time recently 
And uh, yeah, I, I was watching that part in particular. And I'm like, wow, I'm surprised they got away with that. You don't see that in movies these days. Yeah, this he said that his uh, his movie was probably the most downloaded for a while, but they it keeps getting pulled off of platforms. So it should still mm. be there. Uh, it was the other day when I looked at it. But if it isn't, let me know and I'll. I'll, I'll ask him where the where the new one is and and what the address is to it. But we're like an hour and seven, and I think I took up enough of your time. It's ten o'clock here on the West Coast, and I definitely appreciate you coming out and talking to me, and uh, you know sharing a little bit of your story and your background, and uh, you know just getting to know getting to know a fellow creator. Well, thanks for having me, man. This was a lot of fun. For sure, for sure. Um, hang out for just a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the outro, and then uh, I'll connect with you down in the green room here in just a second. All right. all right. Appreciate it again. Thanks, Ron. And everybody out there, ronplacone.com. You can find all of his uh, social media links and all the way to connect to him on his website. Uh, definitely check that out. And he's doing some good things. And if you haven't seen him on the Jimmy Dore show, then you should definitely go follow the Jimmy Dore show and watch Ron Placone on the Jimmy Dore show because he makes some really good points and talks about some really good stuff. And Jimmy Dore is really funny. So there you go. <laughs> all right until next time uh tomorrow i have a uh one scheduled two at six o'clock uh, well actually i'm not doing a live stream right now so never mind <laughs> if i was doing it live that would be applicable so yeah until next time everybody uh keep it 100 stay true to yourself and uh that's definitely the best way to be You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue-collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.